0: All right. So let me start by asking you a very important question. All right. So by a show of hands, how many of you would say in the humble confidence of your heart that you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Now, how many of you say within the humble confidence of your heart that you truly are a Christian by a show of hands? Did you notice the difference between the two questions and then why? Oh. Why is it that you may have raised your hand quicker for the second question versus mm-hmm. the first one? Mm-hmm. Tell me what your thoughts are mm-hmm. regarding it. Why is it that there's some hesitancy when it comes to the uh, the first question versus the second question?
1: <laughs> I would think that um, the disciples they kind of like it's a, it's a more intense, um, you know, it you know, gives you the feeling, you know, oh, like perfect almost, you know what I mean? Okay. You know, so
0: it gives you the sense that you're perfect and that you, it's more well, intense. It, you,
1: do, you do, everything right. You're doing
0: yeah. everything right, yeah, so yeah. therefore, that would that would define you as being a disciple. Okay. Well, that's mm-hmm. what disciples do. Okay, yeah. so all right, that's that's one, uh, Jay.
2: Um. I think when you say the word disciple versus like Christian, like Christian, you you put that a category as like, oh, what's the religion? Christian, Muslim, Jew. You're right, you know what I'm saying? You're Christian. And then when you think about being a disciple, it's more of an action type mm-hmm. of word. So you are actually discipling people. You are actually evangelizing. You're witnessing. You're 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 bringing forth your testimony. You're. Um, because disciple
0: is someone who follows someone, so you're following mm-hmm. Christ closely, and you are bringing the others to Christ. Okay. All right. So so um, so all right. So what, you, were you going to say something about that? Yeah, I mean,
3: basically um, similar what Jay said. I mean, uh, when you when you're a Christian it's just like you know in terms of just like your religion, basically, are you're saved by grace, and but when you're a disciple, you're it's more of a, a deeper a relationship where you're actually. You're doing what you're, you're called to do.
0: So, we're, we're, all right. So, identifying yourself as a Christian is more about what you believe in terms of your faith or your religion. But when you are a disciple, you're more engaged in your faith, or what have you. So, mm-hmm. what would you say, Regina?
2: It's sort of on the same lines that Jay was saying. Like when you said discipleship, I was thinking. Oh, when's the last time I shared the gospel with someone? That's been a while. So that's why I was like, oh, hesitant. Okay. So yeah, along with lines of what she was saying, I was just kind of internally critiquing myself as how I
1: measure
0: up. Okay, all right, that's good, that's good. Now let me do this, let me throw out, let me throw out three questions to you, all right? And I want you to write these three questions down, um, somewhere under here, um, before we get to the, the four points I'm gonna cover. The first question is, what is a disciple? As a matter of fact, write it on the back of your you can write it on the back of your paper. What is a disciple? That's the first question. What is your understanding? The second question is what is your understanding of disciple making? What is your understanding of disciple making? So the first question is what is what is a disciple? Second question is what is your understanding of disciple making? And then the third question is who are you drawing close in disciple making relationships? Who are you drawing close in disciple making relationships? Who are you discipling or who are you drawing close in disciple making relationships? So those are the three questions. So what I wanna do um, for for the sake of our time, we don't have a whole lot of time, but we will pick this up next week, uh, next Sunday. I wanna share with you the essence of what I believe true discipleship is. My goal is not to say everything there that needs to be said on the topic of discipleship. That's impossible. We don't have time to cover it. I simply want to expound on discipleship from the gospel according to John Uh, when he called his first disciples to follow him. And I want to use this as a springboard into the topic as a whole. So my heart is for us to understand uh, the nature of Christ calling on our lives as disciples of Christ. So let me start by uh, saying um, that there is really a hole in our gospel today. What is the hole in our gospel this take a while educated guess what's the hole in our gospel today
3: we're not, we're not making disciples
0: I feel like we're not making disciples okay what else
1: what do you mean by hole
0: that's a good question <laughs> well we also have to ask the question what is the gospel okay. you know but let me simply say that that the whole in, in the gospel today is a fatal defect in the life of Christ Church. It's a gospel that separates believers from their call to discipleship. So whereas when you answered the question the first time and said, you know, it was a hesitancy about am I truly a disciple of Christ, versus the second question is, I believe I'm a Christian. I say that with confidence, but the first one I'm a little bit hesitant because I'm not perfect. So, no one's perfect. If we define discipleship as being perfect, it's a gospel that offers salvation without the demands of sanctification. It 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 is a separation of John three sixteen from Luke chapter nine verse twenty three. Anybody know what Luke chapter John three sixteen is? What for God so God loved the, the world morning, that he day gave us. Only begotten Son that whosoever believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And we separated that passage from Luke chapter 9, verse 23, which says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Somehow we separated salvation from sanctification. That a person can literally... Um, be saved and yet not follow Christ. That's the hole in the gospel today. That's what exists. It, it's a it's a separation of faith from practice. It's um, it teaches you that you can be a believer in Jesus Christ and not necessarily be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the hole in the gospel today. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a, a famous German theologian who was martyred in his attempt to stop Hitler and his madness said that Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Interesting. James Boyce makes a profound statement in in this regard. He says we want so much to win people to Christ that we're watering down the gospel to the point where believing in Christ hardly means anything. And does it surprise you? That the majority of Americans consider themselves to be Christians. Yet, when you take apart what they truly believe, you'll discover that those who call themselves Christians really haven't studied the Bible for all it's worth. In fact, a scary percentage believes in universalism, that all roads lead to God, and that Muslims and Christians basically believe in the same God. How did this happen? How do you think this happened? That today's American evangelical Christianity would, would teach that somehow you can place faith in him and believe in Jesus, but ne- not necessarily follow him. How could it be two camps of people who believe that you can be a Christian and yet not be a follower? How many times you oh, would you was gonna say? No, I didn't.
2: That rhetorical? Or that? No,
0: well, you can answer it if you uh, want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: No, I mean I don't know. I was thinking of, um like, comfort level. You know, like, cause if you're gonna say, you know, "For God's love the world, that He gave His only begotten Son," and you're like, "Oh, it's great, I'm gonna believe," and then go to church and then that's it. You're like, church, home, church, homework work, blah, blah, blah. But then, like, to do Luke nine twenty three to really deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him daily, that involves being uncomfortable at times. That involves some hard work, you know, things that we really, you know, are like, ah.
0: Uh. So those who are more comfortable, you know, somehow are, are not cool with denying themselves and taking up their crosses and following Christ because that's, they don't feel like God is leading them in that direction because it it's not comfortable and it's inconvenience to them in terms of their faith practice um, somebody else want to add to that
1: yeah or whoever you so I was thinking that it's not so much being uncomfortable as much as wanting to still have one foot in the world mm-hmm. we, we don't really you know that's why, I mean, we want to get along with everybody, but we're not going to get along with everybody, mm. you know, and so we, we still want to have these friends over here, you know, in our bosom, but yet we want to consider ourselves to be Christians.
0: Yeah, so we want to have one foot in the world, one foot in the church, right. and, and incidentally have both feet on banana pills.
3: Right,
0: <laughs> right. So, so you you don't you know, and that's absolutely correct. Did you want to add something to that?
3: Yeah, I think um, a lot of people take Ephesians two eight and they they stop there. They, in two eight nine, it, you know, it says, "For by grace you are saved through faith, mm-hmm. not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works." And you know, rather James says, "If you're saved, show me some works." You know, a lot yeah. of people take this the wrong way. I think they they take this in a prosperity gospel and saying that God is a God of love and just don't look at the whole the full gospel
0: yeah so you know the and it's the full gospel because here's the here's the reality ephesians chapter 2 verse uh 8 and 9 it talks about you're saved by grace through faith and this is not of yourselves it is a gift of god and not of works lest anyone should boast but then they leave off with those particular verses and forget the next verse Mm -hmm. which is check which is verse 10 that says what we are his workmanship workmanship created Mm -hmm. in christ Jesus." unto good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So somehow in this modern day evangelical uh, Americanized Christianity we have separated those verses so that now, um, yeah, you you save by grace of faith, through faith alone, this is not of yourself, but then we leave off the fact that we've been created unto good works. So we don't work in order to earn our salvation, we work because we are saved and because we do know him. So What's interesting is that the word Christian, uh, the number of times Christian is mentioned in the Bible versus disciple. How many times do you think Christian is mentioned in the Bible versus disciple?
1: Maybe
0: once or twice. Okay, See, once or twice? I would say that. Okay. Probably what would you say? Probably half. Half? Yeah,
3: Christian versus disciple.
0: Okay, well actually in the Bible, uh, Christian is only mentioned three times. Mm-hmm. And disciple is mentioned over 250 times. 250 times mm-hmm. disciple is mentioned. The majority of those times is mentioned in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And so disciple is interesting that that in um, the times that the actually yeah, three times. There are two occasions that the word Christian is used by pagans to refer to Christ's disciples.
1: Mm-hmm
0: it says in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. But the pagans were actually identifying these disciples as Christians. It was actually a derogatory term. It, do, it, it meant Christ's followers or Christ's life or what have you, but it was a persecutory term. Like we would use the term today, holy roller, right? Or you're a Jesus fanatic, you're a Jesus freak. That's how that word was used. And the other occasion it was used um, by King Agrippa. Remember when Paul was trying to persuade him? Mm-hmm. You had almost persuaded me, Apostle Paul, to become a Christian. So it was a derogatory term. It was a term of suffering. In fact, the only time that one of the a believer actually uses, the Apostle Peter uses it in, Peter, I believe, Peter chapter 4, where he says that, you know, counter glorious that you suffer as a christian so that's the only times these the terms were being used right but disciple is mentioned over 250 times in the bible and it's interesting that we go out we 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 we, so many people call themselves christians but they're not disciples so an actual term disciple is is the is the word methetos it it means to to be a learner, one who attaches himself to Christ for the purpose of learning and being obedient to Christ, you know, following Christ. And what's messed up in this uh, is that the Lord commissioned us to go make disciples and we go and make Christians. And keep in mind that every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is a disciple. Wow, I know that's a little bit deep, but I'm going to unpack it. I'm convinced of Bonhoeffer's piercing words. Discipleship is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. So let's talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There are three, there are really four essential principles I want to unpack in defining a disciple or a true follower of Christ. The first one is a true follower of Jesus Christ responds by faith in the whole gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: And what
0: is that? The whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse thirty-five. It says the next day again John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Jump up to verse 29. What does it say? Verse 29.
1: The next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and saying, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of
0: the world. So John is preaching the same message, right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the Bible says in verse 37 that the two disciples heard him say this and they follow Jesus. Wow. How in the world did that happen? Why would these disciples leave John to follow Jesus? Why would John's disciples leave him and then start following Jesus? What would cause them to do that?
3: John was putting
0: up with Jesus? Yeah. And the Bible says faith come by what? Hearing. hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he kept preaching what? Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God right and I can imagine that these disciples were, were sitting faithfully under the tutelage of John's teaching on the coming Messiah and John was teaching his disciples the gospel but the question is and that, and that's why discipleship making or di- disciple making always begins with faith in the whole gospel of Christ but the question is what is the gospel just try this for example one day ask a number of your friends your christian friends what is the gospel and you will be surprised on how many different versions of their understanding of the gospel multifaceted right but not everybody will come up with the same answer you have some core tenets that you all believe and core tenets of that. but you have multiple definitions of the gospel and yet um, what John does uniquely opens up his book by telling us, the readers, where it all begins. He takes us back to where? He takes us back to, if you look at chapter 1, verse 1, he takes us back to the beginning. and the beginning, God. Unlike the other gospel writers, John opens up his gospel with the pre-existence of Christ. Whereas the other writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, opens up with Jesus in time, in history. John opens up his synoptic account, or his gospel account with Jesus in eternity, the preexistence of Christ. And so uh, everything in life, right? This is the gospel. Everything in life has its origin in God through Jesus Christ who created all things, right? God did not somehow right, create humans because he was lonely and he needed us. <laughs> See, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coexistence, coexisted as one God for all of eternity, enraptured in a glorious love relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit delighting in one another in a profound communion that baffles even the brightest minds. So God did, did not create us out of Somehow a need, but he created us out of the overflow of his love and glorious sovereignty. Look at how the Apostle John unpacks the gospel. He says that Jesus is what? The first thing he says that Jesus is the word. Right? So nowadays, if you want to communicate with somebody, how do you communicate with family and friends? You communicate through what mediums? What are some electronic? What are some uh, uh, media? Phones, text, email, email. Email, mm-hmm. Facebook, mm-hmm. right? Instagram. We tweak people. Uh, high speed internet, cell phone. Okay. Face to face contact. But the way God communicates us, to us today is through his son, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. And what's interesting is that unlike animals, humans possess unique ability to communicate with each other through the medium of words. Words carry meaning. Words help us to express how we feel inside. Words aid us in our attempt to meet needs and desires. Well, God knows how important words are to us as human beings. So therefore, he, he decided to communicate to us through the medium of his word. Not plural, but singular, the word. When God revealed himself to Moses, he revealed himself to Moses in the form of fire, right? The burning bush and a mountain that was set ablaze on fire. He revealed himself to Jacob as a wrestler, as he wrestled with God. He revealed himself to Elijah as a small, still voice. He revealed himself to Joshua as a captain of the Lord's army. And now he's revealing himself to all humanity in a medium that we all understand. The Word. And that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So not only is Jesus the Word, but Jesus is the creator. In other words, we are not ultimate. Neither are we totally autonomous creatures. Our very existence is contingent upon God. And as humans who were created in God's image and likeness, we sense our dignity and infinite worth as image bearers. However, deep down inside, instinctively we know that something is drastically wrong about us something is broke our ancestors Adam and Eve our first parents disobeyed God's command and as a result the entire humanity was plunged into corruption of sinful rebellion darkness and separation from God every human being born into this world without fail is born into darkness and spiritual death and there is nothing we can do about it on our own efforts So God initiates the greatest rescue mission of all times by taking on human flesh, becoming the undercover boss, living the perfect life of obedience to his father, fulfilling all manners of righteousness. Right. On our behalf and teaching us the way of the kingdom. And then he died in our place, absorbing the wrath of God for us so that he could give us eternal life. The light that we lost in the garden. John told them about the light. The light represents God's illumination. But it also represents the holiness of Christ. Light reveals our darkness. It unveils our total depravity. The glorious light of Christ unveils our sinful nature. And shows us how desperately in need we are for the Savior. See, we cannot see without the true light. We cannot see our sin without the blazing, bright, burning holiness of Christ. And When Peter saw this in Luke chapter 5, he was exposed to the nature of Christ when Christ told him to cast his net on the right side of the boat and he caught so much fish that it overwhelmed him to the point where said, Peter just fell at Jesus' feet and said, Lord, woe! He said, Lord, depart from me. I'm, I'm, I'm a sinful man. And it was in that moment, Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, I'll make you a fisher of men. So discipleship begins with an understanding and appropriation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the full gospel of Jesus Christ, not the one with the hole in it. Not only did John testify that, this, that Jesus is the light, that he's the life, but he's the word that was made flesh. And God is so serious about his communion with us that his very word became flesh and blood that he tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten son of the father full of grace and truth right he testified not only that but that jesus is the son of god verse 34 john also preached repentance and nowadays preachers are preaching the gospel without repentance just slip your hand up walk down the aisle if you want to be saved or you just say the sinner's prayer and so many people say the sinner's prayer and then what happens to them afterwards well they might join the church become a member but then they won't follow christ in fact they have a it's a a defect in their understanding of, of the gospel because you really cannot you know, um, believe in Christ and yet not follow him. It's not possible. And I'm not talking about perfectionism where a person has to be perfect, but if you genuinely have a real relationship with Christ, belief and following is two sides of the same coin. You can't separate, you know, belief in Christ from following Christ. And so people have tried to do that. So not only did he preach about Jesus being the son of God, but he had an epiphany in his moment. He says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when John the Baptist preached about the lamb of God, it was understood in Jewish culture to mean that Christ became the ultimate sacrifice of atonement for our sinful rebellion against a holy God. That God applied the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of our lives so that the death angel would pass over us. It was a close call on our part. See the whole gospel of Christ entails accepting Christ as prophet priest and king yet we have neatly packaged the gospel into a gospel track or tucked it away on the tail end of a sermon or a Good Friday service but the problem is people want the priest to save them from hellfire but they don't want the prophet telling the truth and they don't want the king reigning over their lives Yet the whole gospel of Christ means that I accept them as the way, the truth, and the life. Our whole existence as Christians is based on our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So John and his disciples understood that belief in Christ and following Christ are one and the same. That you really can't separate John three sixteen from Luke chapter nine verse twenty three. They may look different on the surface but they're really the same coin you can't divorce the two and we can't believe ourselves to 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 say that well you know i really i i believe in following jesus but to be honest with you i don't read my bible i don't pray i don't go to church I don't do any of those things, but I, I believe that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for my sins and that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Do that, does that person have genuine faith? No. We may argue that they, they don't based on their fruit, right? Because in reality, if I say that I genuinely believe that I'm going to follow. If you say, I believe in, in hygiene, I believe in perfect hygiene, <laughs> Right, but yet you don't you don't brush your teeth, you don't wash up. I don't care. You can say you believe that all you you, all you want. Bible says what demons believe and tremble, and yet they don't fear God. They don't really obey, right? So you can have a, a a nominal belief, but not have have a genuine, sincere belief in following Jesus Christ. So not only do true followers of Jesus Christ respond by faith in the whole gospel of Jesus Christ but secondly true followers of Jesus Christ pursues him with a passion look at verse 37 the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus they heard John and they followed Jesus they heard John and they followed Jesus notice this that when they heard John and they followed Jesus I remember uh, coming across a particular quote. And this quote is from a book I read. Let me see if I can find these. Uh, David Watson conveys um, this in his book called The Called and Committed. He says The most important thing about us is not what we say, nor not just what we say or what we do. It is our unconscious influence impregnated with the fragrance of Jesus. Jesus wants us to be his witnesses. He wants us to be with him, to spend time with him, to be in constant communion with him. St. Ignatius of Antioch once said that it is better to keep solid and to be than to talk and not to be. So, they heard John, and the Bible says, and they followed Jesus. Not like Nicodemus, who followed Jesus at night, right? Nicodemus followed that Jesus at night. Why? Because it was no consequence to him. It didn't cost him anything. He could, he could follow Jesus and not lose any of his friends because he followed Jesus at night. But Jesus called him on the carpet and told him, You must be born again, right? Nick at night. And yet, there there are nominal Christians today that will secretly want to follow Jesus, but not in the open, not in the public. They want to be fans and not followers. Wear the jersey. Sit up in the bleachers. Right? Fans and not followers. That's how we have churches that are jam-packed with a lot of people and yet not a whole lot of followers. It's easy to actually pack an entire stadium with people. Right? But... How about packing the stadium with followers of Jesus Christ? Think about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, who was a wee little man who climbed up a sycamore tree just to pursue Christ. And Christ called him down, said, Today I must stay at your house. And this man became a disciple of Jesus Christ. The prostitute woman who pursued Christ with a reckless abandonment when Christ was dining in the house of Pharisees, this woman in pursuit of Christ came in the midst of hostility and just poured out her alabaster box of anointment onto Jesus. She demonstrated crazy love for Christ. To follow Christ, we must become people of the dust. And in Jewish culture, disciples and their, their rabbis had such a close Proximity relationship and apprenticeship that they would literally collect dust on their garments from their master teacher, and they were be, they were identified as people of the dust because they walk they walk so close behind their master teacher. So true disciples of Jesus Christ are those who pursue him with a passion. A.W. Tozer said, it is so sad that we are comfortable with having our pastors and leaders do all the seeking for us. So not only do true followers of Jesus Christ pursue him with a passion, but true followers of Jesus Christ, number three, submit to his teachings and lordship. Notice what John's former disciples called Jesus. Rabbi, where are you standing? Verse 38. Rabbi, where are you staying? Right? And Jesus turned and, and saw them following. He said to them, what? What are you seeking? Right? See, the word Rabbi was the, was the title of the highest respect given to the Jews by those who were to interpret the law to the nation so that they understood what God expects of his covenant people. To be a follower of Christ Means that I walk and talk and act like Jesus. And this is expressed in our obedience and our love and our servanthood and our suffering and in our sacrifice. In a very real way, we're allowing Christ to live his life through us, through obedience. Look at John chapter 8, verse 31. Somebody, somebody read that verse for me.
3: Jesus said to those Jews which believe on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples
0: indeed. If you continue in my word, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And what that simply means, if you take up residence with with me, if you take up residence in my word, if you take up residence in my presence, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in me, that when those disciples left John, It was the 10th hour, which means that they were not planning on going back home. This was it. They asked Jesus a very important question. Where are you staying? Because we don't want to go back. We want to stay where you're staying. And Jesus said to them what? Come and see. So obedience, abiding in his word. Not only that, um, and one of the greatest examples of obedience to the call of following Christ is seen in Mark's account in in, uh, Mark chapter 2 verse 13 to 17 when he called Levi to follow him. He was at the tax collecting booth and he was sitting there and he was going business and all of a sudden Jesus comes over to him and says to him, Matthew, follow me. Just like that. The guy gets up from the money and gets up from his profession and leaves and follows Jesus. That's powerful. That's very dramatic. In fact, that's a testimony to the absolute direct and unaccountable authority of Christ. If Christ were to walk up to you right now and says, Follow me, would you do it? Questions in our minds we would be like, Well, where are we going? Right? Not only was it obedience, but it was also love that was expressed in following Christ. By this all men will know you are my disciples by your praise and worship. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples by your church attendance. Mm -hmm. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples by your tithing. All those things are important and they're part of discipleship. But by this, all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. it's a shift from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says in Colossians chapter three, he says, "It is I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave Himself for me." Then in Colossians chapter three, he says, "For you have seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God." Right. For you have died and your life is hit with christ in god when christ who is your life appears you will also appear with him in glory which means this is no longer about you when he says deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him this is not about you anymore this is about christ right so it's it's obedience is love right it's 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 genuine uh discipleship is genuinely uh living in community with other christ followers is moving from independence to interdependence. Now, I was learning during my discipleship training classes with Dr. Ed Gross that guy gave me some, giving me some valuable lessons. And he said one of those lessons was to just slow down, pay attention to what's going on around me, pay attention to what matters most, spend more time with your mother and your nieces and your nephews. This is discipleship one-on-one. Discipleship is love, obedience, it's servanthood, it's suffering, but it's also sacrifice. What profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or be cast away? So when Jesus turned and asked these two disciples, "What do you want?" What was he asking them? He was asking them their DTR. You know what their DTR is? Define the relationship. You know, when you're dating someone, you ask them a DTR. Which, define a relationship? What what what's your DTR? What do you want? See, fans are fascinated with Jesus, but don't want to submit to his lordship. They want all the benefits of being saved without the commitment. Fans say to Jesus, Hey, uh, why don't we move in together? But they don't want to no vi don't want to exchange any vows of commitment. There's a satire magazine called The Door and it suggests that unmarried couples living together should take the following vows. I, John, take you Mary, to be my cohabitant, to have sex with and to share bills with. I'll be around while things are good, but I probably won't be if things get tough. If you get a cold, I'll run to the drugstore to get some medicine for you. If you get sick to the point where you can no longer meet my needs, then I'll have to move on, forsaking many others I'll be more or less faithful to you for as long as it feels good to me. And if we should break up, it doesn't mean that this wasn't special for me. I commit to live with you for as long as this works out. That's in a book by uh, not a fan, uh, Kyle Eidemann. So not only do true followers of Jesus Christ submit to his teaching and lordship, true followers of Jesus Christ are compelled to make other disciples for Christ. Notice how Andrew is so excited in verse 40 about his relationship with Jesus that he tells who. One of the two disciples who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and he did what? He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Wow. So what's the first thing he did when he came to faith in Christ? He went and found his brother. He spread the word. And so people may ask me. So, so you mean to tell me that you really can't separate being a Christian from being a disciple or separate. You can't separate the two. You can't even separate discipleship making from being the disciple of Christ. See, we can get very good at professional at being disciple beings and not disciple doing or disciple making. We're, we're great at disciple being. Disciple being is you attend the church, you join the ministry, and you are disciple being. Great, but what about disciple making? And the first thing that happened with, with Andrew, he felt compelled to tell his own brother about I remember when I first came to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I really had desire for God to bring my family to Christ. And I, and I recall very vividly that you know my family did not know him and so i began to pray and i the lord you know revealed to me i want you to get them all bibles for christmas and so i got them all bibles for christmas and i knew exactly what they was going to do with those bibles it was going to collect us and whatever so they opened up the bible unwrapped it and saw it was a bible oh thank you put it aside mm-hmm. but you know what comes after that christmas right easter And so I've been praying for God to bring my family to the church and God brought a few of them out to the church at this point. My mom, my sister, my two sisters and their boyfriend, my little, my little, my nephew, and they all came out. And I remember during a time uh, when the gospel went forth and the preacher gave the invitation and the Lord brought my family down the aisle to get saved. And my mother, to this day, many, many years later, is involved in a choir. She's a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. My brother is super committed to Christ. My younger brother, uh, my other brother struggles. My other young, older sister struggles. But it's, it's amazing how God moves in a mighty way. And so what I'm saying is, when you come to Christ as a believer, at that moment, you are a disciple maker. You may not even be proficient in your knowledge of God. You may not be proficient in theology. You may not have a whole lot of theology. Even the woman at the well didn't have a whole lot of theology, but what did she have? She had a testimony. (laughs) And guess what? Hundreds, probably even thousands became converted because of that woman's testimony. Powerful. She didn't have a whole, matter of fact, her theology was off based on John chapter four. But because she came to know the Messiah at that point, she said, come see a man who told me everything I ever knew. Could this be the Messiah? And droves of men come out to see who this Jesus is and they not only believe because of the woman's testimony, but because of Christ himself. So it's amazing. You don't have to have a whole lot of proficient knowledge to be a disciple maker. You can just have this incredible ability to influence even through your testimony. So Um, So the question I often ask myself is, how can you be genuinely saved and following Christ without ever opening up your mouth to share Christ with other people? Is that possible? A.W. told us that only, only a disciple can make another disciple. Discipleship making starts at the moment of conversion. We have the capacity to make other disciples. It is in our spiritual DNA. Even as a babe, we have influence to make disciples. So let me just close with this, because I don't have a whole lot of time, and I really wanted to just kind of get your viewpoints. In. Um, God, the Lord has given us the Great Commission, but somehow the Great Commission has become the Great Suggestion. Because part of the Great Commission has been a great omission. In the in the, in, in the Great Commission, all authority has been given unto me, Jesus says. Go make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? And then we leave off with that. Then the greater mission is what? Teaching them to obey all things I have commanded you. And though I am with you always until the end of the age. Discipleship making is not something that we can do in our own efforts. It's a process that begins with... Reliance on the Holy Spirit—it is God's job from start to finish. Yeah. It's not ours. It's, it's, the, it's an incredible role that we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us to draw other people to Christ. We, we can't do it on our own. It, matter of fact, it is impossible for us to even follow Christ apart from Christ's Holy Spirit moving through us. Mm-hmm. So we need the power of God to do it. So let me ask you. Let me ask you this question, um, in your viewpoint. Um, what is what is a disciple, and which what is your understanding of discipleship? Me, I just throw those two questions out there, and then if it's anything that I said that you wanted to interact with, this is the time for us to talk about that.
3: So the question is, what is a disciple, and how do we make discipleship? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a disciple is basically someone that does their, you know, really strives, really up, does their ultimate best to really follow God, you know, to, you know give it their all. And just like you said, you get an analogy about hygiene. If you really believe in hygiene, you're going to wash, you're going to brush your teeth. So, you know, even like lately, you know, it's funny, you talk about hygiene, I started brushing my teeth. I was only doing it once a day. I said, "You know what? We gotta do it twice a day." I, I, and I got my family doing it twice a day man. Like you know, because we gotta have good teeth. You know, we gotta. Yeah. I, so I, You know, so I talk about that. And, hey, we gotta really do better about this. So um, you know, like really strive to grow and strive to uh, learn more about God and strive to just not stay where you are. You know, um, as a disciple, and and also you know helping out other people, mentoring others, whether um. You know, it's a coworker or somebody you could find a, some find people. I think you said so you had a barbecue at your house one Saturday. You had people come over. I remember you gave this testimony and some, you know, things like that. Just make, just finding ways to spread
0: God's word with people. Mm. Thank you, Alfred. That's that's powerful. You know, so yeah, you got it. If you really believe it, you're gonna do something about it. If you truly, genuinely believe it, you know, what else? Anybody else? Um, you don't have to answer the question, but just anything that kind of. Stuck out to you about um, what we covered so far? Or is it an aha moment for you or whatever?
2: Well, I don't. I don't um, well, I was going to answer first. That's fine. Um, but I just wrote down um, to scripture. So for the first one, did you access us to write down those questions down before, what is a disciple, and I wrote down in Luke 9, 23, okay. um, about denying yourself and picking up your cross, you know, kind of just picking back off of uh, you know, what he was saying about just someone who was just closely following after God and and doing what they believe. Um And then what is your understanding of disciple-making? I wrote down the scripture you have, verse, I mean, John 1, just uh, 35, 37, how when, you know, they heard John talk about Jesus, mm. they stopped and they followed him. Mm. So that's disciple making, like someone who is speaking about Christ, pointing others to Christ, mm. being their road sign, like <laughs> look, it's all about Jesus
0: mm. and
2: mm. you know, just just having Christ transform them, you
0: know. Wow, that's good. Thank you, thank you, Jay. Anybody else? So um so My heart has always been for discipleship, you know, and my, I just really pray that, that, um, that we will become uncomfortable. <laughs> one question that um, I, I ask you all and also directed towards myself is, um, who are you drawing close to in discipleship-making relationships? You, know, you don't have to ask, answer the question, but I want you to, to think about that, because that that question shouldn't be rhetorical, right? That should be something that we should be thinking about and praying about. How can we engage in in people who need to come to know Christ? You know, and next time we get together, we're gonna to be talking about the difference between decisional evangelism and discipleship evangelism. Decisional evangelism is pretty much, you know, um have a person, you know, say the prayer make a decision for christ boom get them plugged in to join the church discipleship evangelism is not only causing a person to come to christ but actually walking with them to be obedient to christ that's discipleship making decisional evangelism is just catching a fish discipleship evangelism is actually catching a fish and cleaning it we don't like doing that part i don't like filleting fish but that's the hardest part, to get your hands dirty and start cleaning the fish. So I just you know, encourage you um, to come out next, next Sunday as we uh, do the second part to this series, as we talk about the, uh, the effectiveness of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, I do have a couple books that if you ever want to get started with um, the topic, uh, Discipling by Mark Denver and Not a Fan by Kyle Eidemann. Um, these are two books that I would say heavy hitter books on discipleship from a very practical standpoint Uh, so let's go ahead and close out in a word of prayer because we are out of time Um, unless anybody had any other questions but we can talk afterwards if you have any other questions Father we thank you and we glorify you Lord and we lift you up we thank you so much Lord God for your infallible word we thank you God for your calling for us to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Make us uncomfortable, Lord God, so much so that we deny ourselves and take up our crosses daily and follow you. That we would do what Andrew did. That he first found his brother and brought him to Jesus. God, I pray that you'll place people in our heart that, we need, that needs to come to know who you are. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us not to uh, walk away without being transformed by your words. We love you, we thank you, and we pray all these things in the mighty and wonderful name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.